Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Well, hello and welcome back, everybody. This is episode 26 of Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. And I am Pastor Mark. And today we're going to be jumping into what we think is really an example of our episode on joy. Uh, We did that a few weeks back where we talked about joyful theology and how good theology and the good news should lead to us being joyful Christians. And this is an episode where we want to just go through our favorite passages of Scripture. Uh, we could probably sit all day and talk about so many different passages, and in fact, we do have a lot that we've both sort of come up with and, and selected as our favorites, if we could choose. Mm. Um, and so this is a good way of you seeing our sort of theological journey, um, our, our sort of spiritual biography, you could say, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it gives you good insight into... Uh, how we understand Scripture, what passages that really loom large in our understanding of God's Word. Uh, But we also hope that it's a sort of exercise in uh, in devotion to the Lord, that as you hear us reflecting on verses that have been really powerful in our lives and have been something that we've clung to as the years have gone by, we hear that you will, or we hope that you will will hear in this, the sort of joy that we have, and then it would it would encourage you to think about what your favorite passages of Scripture are, and what what those have been for you throughout the years when mm-hmm. when things are good and when things are very difficult. Um, and so you'll notice also it's interesting we we both put our list onto a document, and so we can see each other's favorite passages. But it was interesting to me what what wasn't on the mm-hmm. top of our list. Um, you know, as Reformed pastors, it might be easy to just select the five verses from Scripture that are proof texts of TULIP and of the five points. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I looked through Mark's and through mine, I saw that, yeah, those don't really appear on here. Um, Mark, why do you why do you think that was? What, what would be your thoughts on that? Yeah, it, well, I noticed a theme in these verses that will explore and um, the theme is really enjoyment of the gospel enjoyment of the grace and truth of God the saving work of Jesus Christ and I think it's pretty unfortunate that at times in the reformed particularly among reformed pastors or theologians uh, there can be a lot of excitement about theological clarity and those proof texts and maybe at times that could even distract from the beauty and peace that we find in the gospel itself. So Hmm. it can start to become almost more of an intellectual argument when we talk about Mm -hmm. our favorite verses instead of a devotional thing, a personal proclamation of what God has done. The Psalms call us time and again to declare in the presence of the assembly to, to, to declare the wonderful works of God. I think that's <laughs> Psalm 9, verse 1. That's 
would be one of my favorites that actually isn't on the list but um <laughs> to just delight in his amazing marvelous works and that's i think where both of us were pulled towards even more so than we are pulled towards theology per se we are hopefully being drawn to god and um to his word and these these texts of his word that really call out our worship yeah that sort of gets to one of the the difficult things in the christian life especially for people who are more theologically or academically inclined is that it's really easy to allow for yourself to have pet doctrines mm. that you love because of how how interesting or how cool those doctrines are and that can pull you away from worshiping god those doctrines are important it's good to have good doctrine i'm a huge advocate of mm. of good theology uh, but we have to keep everything in perspective. And so it's easy to have our favorite verses because our favorite verses give us insight into our favorite doctrines. Um, and that shouldn't be the end goal. It should be to to glorify and to enjoy God forever. So, Yeah, and there was there was a time, too, when I sort of scoffed at the life verse yeah, you know, same of, here. that people <laughs> would have. But the more I think about it as a pastor god gives us all personalities he gives us all interests he hmm. wires us a certain way where we would hopefully all love the gospel itself but different hmm. expressions of the gospel come all throughout the scriptures old and new testaments and so yeah th that's okay that some people would be more drawn towards Psalm 23 or John 3.16 or uh, Romans 8.28 or, you know, hmm. you go through a lot of the typical verses that people would, would claim as a life verse, and that's okay that, that somebody would, would find um, a different little part of God's Word that really speaks to them powerfully. Hmm. Um, I, I do think that at times the life verse trend, which was really popular probably in like the 90s and 2000s, early yeah. 2000s, that it can be a little bit dangerous because mm -hmm. if it can become all people know about the Bible, that's one of the problems of the life verse thing of mm -hmm. like Psalm 23, if I just sort of uh, rattle it off like uh, a mantra when I'm having a hard day, then that's really what's going to help me get through this like you see happening in movies. I remember there was a an X-Men movie where um, Nightcrawler recited Psalm 23 when they're all about to die or something like that. <laughs> Um, and you know, like it, it can kind of become that, like yeah. a, a very superstitious yeah. thing. And obviously we would say guard, we guard against that. Um, yeah. as we go through our favorite verses, they, these are not like superstitiously powerful words or something. Yeah. Um, these are expressions of what God has done, uh, for us through Christ. Yeah. So. That's a really important point. It can become almost a canon within a can canon for yeah. someone oh totally and it can become your favorite verse can be the lens through which all scripture is read and sort of mediated and so if your favorite verse is something about love loving your neighbor that can be sort of like the highest mm -hmm. uh, ethical standard and everything else has to be filtered through that verse uh, it's also it's sort of like the problem with uh, with red letter bibles I yeah. have red letter bibles yeah, and I similar. think it's helpful to know when Jesus is speaking. Mm -hmm. um, but some people elevate those red letters as if they are more meaningful or more 
you know, truthful, more yeah. accurate to God's word than the other, the black letters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that is not a helpful way of doing it. But what can all, what can become part of the problem then with having favorite verses is that it can sort of put scripture in a box for you mm-hmm. and for lack of a better way of putting it, it can be your grid through which all of scripture is interpreted. Uh, and that can be a very constraining thing. It can have a harmful impact on how you understand scripture. Mm. Uh, and so to say we have favorite verses, isn't to say we want to elevate these above other verses. Yeah. Maybe a good way of discerning if this is a, a good thing or a bad thing is to say, does your favorite text make you want to study more of the Bible or less of the Bible? Hmm. Um, and so if somebody says, I just go with Psalm 23 and I'm good, yeah. then then that is actually not a good thing because Psalm 23 okay. becomes, like you said, all that people need. Mm-hmm. And so they're not going to dig into the other great Psalms, Psalm 1, Psalm 13, Psalm 27, you know, mm-hmm. Psalm 119. All of these, uh, they're all great, of course, but those are some of the even still well-known one, Psalm 121. Um, So hopefully with what people would gather from our list here is that these texts make us want to know God more. And um, we are satisfied certainly with the word of God, but also that satisfaction points us into a greater desire for more of it. Um, Like a really good meal makes us want to eat more good meals and really good food. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so these texts don't um, become the only thing that we need to know from God's word, but they really launch us into a greater knowledge for God's word. Yeah, absolutely. As I was sort of sifting through some of my favorite passages in preparation for this, I sort of had this thought that, man, I really want to study more scripture Hmm. and have more verses that would come to mind. Uh, I had a lot, but I felt like I could have had many, many more. And for me, the ones that I came up with are ones that have been very personally uh, influential and impactful in my in my journey, in my life. Um, there's a lot more that I thought of that, for me, were sort of the cool doctrine passages, the doctrines mm-hmm. that I like, mm-hmm. but haven't been... Uh, exactly verses that I've, I've clung to at different points in my life. Mm. And so... So I, what's your number one? What are you going to go my with? My number first? one, ever since I was in high school, has been Psalm 41 through 3. I went through a very difficult high school breakup, mm. uh, and so I thought my life was over. And I loved the, f- the future-orientedness of this psalm as I read it in the middle of my pain, uh, you know, of my my teen angst. Um, <laughs> and so David writes this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So from the middle of my pain, hmm. I prayed this many, many times looking forward to the day where I would be able to say with David, I waited patiently for the Lord. He heard, he heard me and he heard my cry and he drew me up from the pit of destruction so I could then turn and worship. So I looked forward in faith to this, this happening. Uh, And it was many years later after that, that I was reading a book from John Piper uh, called Future Grace, 
which really pointed out this dynamic to me in a very powerful way that as we look back on God's provision in our lives in the past, it should instill and deepen in us our faith towards his future grace that he will give us. And so what I was doing unwittingly with reading this passage in the middle of my pain was looking forward to the day and trusting the Lord that there would be a day where I'd be able to praise him and have a new song in my mouth. Uh, and so, of course, that, that did happen. Uh, I don't feel that pain anymore. But this has been a psalm that has always been in the back of my mind whenever I'm going through something difficult. Mm. It, it, it inspires in me more faith, and it helps me to look back on my past and say, God has done so much. God will continue being faithful. And so I can, I can cry out to him. I have to wait patiently for him, but he will hear me, and he'll set my feet on a rock. So that's always been a very profound and foundational passage for me. Yeah, that's one of those texts that calls you to leave the immediate overwhelming stress or anxiety or worry of your life, and it calls you sort of yeah. upwards to take a look down yeah. over it and say, the Lord has pulled me out of the pit, the Lord has... Um, set my feet upon a rock in the past and he, he's going to put a new song in my mouth. And so mm -hmm. therefore you trust him, right? I, the, the, the Psalm is really about end, ending up with trusting God. So oh, for sure. Yeah. That, and that is what God's word will do for you. Maybe anybody who's listening to this, who is struggling in some way, it really does call you out of only your experience, seeing life through only what you are experiencing right now into David's experience, who mm -hmm. is looking back and say, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Um, and so mm -hmm. I think that's one of the best things, of course, that God's Word does. It's, it calls us out of yeah. our subjectivism. It helps us transcend our yep. our limitations a little yep. bit by, by pulling us out of our limited perspective yep. and giving us the heavenly perspective. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So I sort of um, categorize my favorite verses with basically like I have categories most, the one that I quote the most, uh, the one that really I love because of the reformed um, solidity of them, the most humbling, most worshipful. And so I'll, I'll start with the verse yeah. that I quote the most as a pastor and I'm talking with people or I even find myself quoting it pretty regularly in sermons and that is 1 Corinthians 15, one through four. Um, really 1 Corinthians 15 is an extremely long chapter of the Bible. Oh, I want to say it's around 80 verses long. And uh, yeah, it's, really the whole chapter is about the centrality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is what I'll go to for visiting with somebody who is dying and on their deathbed. And I'll hmm. I'll read for them that our bodies were sown perishable and be raised yeah. imperishable. And um, all the great hope of the resurrection because Jesus' resurrection had made that that glory, that imperishability, that life possible, and even a promise for the Christian. Um, and so I'll start often with 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, which is the gospel. And Paul even says, here's what the gospel is. And in our age of confusion about the gospel and about life, the meaning of life, um, the work of God, this is what I go back to time and again. Paul says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved 
if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And so that's really important. I come to that a lot. Yeah. Because right there, Paul is saying, this is the most important thing. Um, not so much a proverb, not so much a, a story from First or Second Kings from the Old Testament. Um, there are some parts of the Bible that are of first importance. And, you know, like the text I already referred to, Psalm 23, John 3.16, those are mm-hmm. cent- of central importance, I would say, for our understanding of God. But he says, here's what it is. Here's the gospel. Here's what's of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, which means he really did die physically, he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So... Um, that's the gospel, and just today, um, earlier this morning, I noticed on uh, the Facebook feed of a pastor friend of mine, um, somebody challenging him, um, saying, you know, I believe that the gospel is love one another and be kind to widows and orphans. And so this this person who actually labeled himself a progressive Christian um, basically said that is my understanding of what the gospel is. I'm going to relabel, um, which I think is probably done more out of ignorance of just like maybe not knowing some of these scripture mm-hmm. texts. Um, I'm going to relabel what the gospel is and I'm going to redefine it. But we're not allowed to do that. We have the gospel here. It says this is it, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised to life. And um, if we would maybe even combine that a little bit with Jesus' proclamation in Mark 1, um, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. That's the call of every pastor. That's the call of every Christian is mm-hmm. to enter the kingdom of God through repentance and belief in Christ's death and resurrection. Yeah, that's that's a good example, I think, of somebody who maybe is elevating a sort of pet verse sure above james all the rest there. of scripture yeah. yeah taking care of widows and so orphans and james distress. is there true religion as james would say is yep. taking care of widows and orphans i think that's james 1 27 mm. um so yeah that's yeah but that is not of first importance and so that's right. that's really where first corinthians 15 helps so much because james 1 is yeah. really important and there is some stuff in james actually that is of first importance faith without works is dead i would say mm-hmm. that is an essential absolute doctrine that we must hold on to and and so is taking care of widows and orphans in their distress this is it flows out of that this is an important thing to learn from god's mm-hmm. word and it's totally true but <laughs> if we were to say the whole purpose of the church and the whole function of the kingdom of god is the command to take care of widows and orphans that's not the gospel. Then why did Jesus come and die and be raised again? It's right. not really necessary. He could have just said, take care of the <laughs> widows and the orphans. Yeah. That, that would have been a lot easier. Yeah, and so um, I I find myself coming back to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, a lot in our day where there's a lot of confusion about the gospel. Well, while we're on 1 Corinthians 15, <laughs> I figure I'll just share. That that was one of my favorite passages, but from the very end of, mm. of the chapter, from verses 54 through 55, uh, where this is sort of as Paul is going through the the doctrine of the resurrection um, and how he's relating this to to death, and he frames it in such a way that we don't we don't need to be afraid of death. Mm. We don't need to fear death. Death is the final enemy, but God is going to do away with death. 
as the famous Puritan John Owen put it in the title of one of his books, uh, The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. Christ Christ's death has put to death mm-hmm. death itself. Uh, so that passage from 54 through 55, uh, people will know if you have followed me on Instagram in the past. I don't really have Instagram now. I still have the account, but it's not it's not up and running. Um, but this is a passage that I've always loved. And he says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? This is a passage for me that when my dad died, I read mm. again and again and again knowing that death was not the end for him. It was not the the end of my relationship with him. Hmm. Uh, And so it has always given me a lot of courage, a lot of hope. And I love the sort of in-your-face approach (laughs) from Paul here, as if he is mocking death. Death has been something that for all of human history has mocked humans. It is not a natural thing for humans to die. We were not meant to die. But following the fall... Death is a part of our reality now. The wages of sin. Yeah. And so it has always overshadowed us. And now in the gospel, which comes, as he's, as Mark pointed out from the beginning of that chapter, we can mock death. We don't have to fear death at all. Death has been defeated and destroyed in Christ. And so I, I love that sort of, uh, it's sort of punk rock in my opinion. It's just like <laughs> in your face, death. I don't have to worry about you. Well, one of the great things, too, about that text is the amazing combination of intellectual and emotional power. Yeah, good point. So um, great reform doctrine, of course, the scriptures themselves have such a intellectual, philosophical, and emotional, personal appeal, um, even in the very same verse. Uh, yeah. that's, that's one of the themes maybe that comes through mine. Um, I would say I'm very Edwardsian in that regard of uh, having our affections towards God increased and to have them grow constantly. And that comes through verses like 1 Corinthians 15, where um, we have a existential need for an answer about death, and we have an amazing answer in Christ. And so the answer is not just in our head, but the answer is like it, it impacts our attitude in our heart and and we can say you know we can we can shake our fist at death basically because of christ not because of anything we've done um or not just sort of out of defiance against the natural order of things as they as it is now yeah um but because christ is one and so again intellectual emotional combination there is great yeah i'll let you share another one mark yeah that was mine that was my second so well one that i uh I have come back to a lot since I've preached on this text. Um, this, so this is a more recent addition to my list of favorites, is Luke 23, 42, or, uh, 22 and 23. I messed that up. It's Luke 23, <laughs> 22 and 23. So um, uh, it is Jesus' conversation with the thief on the cross. And most people just know Jesus' promise, today you will be with me in paradise, but what really strikes me is um, what the thief says to Christ to elicit that response from Jesus. So um, 
to recap a little bit of the situation, there's the one thief who is mocking Jesus, and then the other thief comes to Jesus' defense and says, we're here because we deserve it. This man has done nothing wrong. And so um, he turns then to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So it's such a humble uh, but true and uh, I would say theologically rich request and so Jesus responds to that request, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Because um, I think that this corrects something that I struggle with, uh, which is just that if we have the right knowledge, then we're, we're okay. Hmm. But this shows humility is required for entering the kingdom of God. Uh it really, uh, and that was the main theme of my sermon when I preached on that, was how um, the Lord requires repentance, not just knowledge, but repentance. And at, when you really have um, born-again knowledge of the Lord, you will have that repentant heart. And so it's not yeah. as much a one comes before the other as much as revealing that with true knowledge of Christ comes deep repentance and humility in our own lives. Again, this is something that I struggle with and that we in our more theologically conservative Reformed circles struggle with very often as well, that I've seen people who would say, I have the right answer, and that's all I need. And so live their life in a very proud, defiant way um, that really isn't really going to let God into that much of my life and not really humble myself before him in every way that I find I should in the scriptures. But the thief just comes to him saying, would you just please remember me when you come into your kingdom? <laughs> you know, that's the attitude. So it, it yeah. captures the attitude of the gospel. So the first was sort of the content of the gospel uh, mm. that I love. And then the second text that I picked was the humility and the, the attitude of the gospel, of, of the believer of the gospel, which is, I, I need this because I'm dying and I need help. Yeah. So it's it's the I forget who which preacher said it, but we preach as dying as dying men to dying men, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, yeah, who that's it? the thief. <laughs> that's the thief who who said I'm I'm dying, and um, he calls out in humility uh, to Christ. Yeah, that's a huge biblical theme that you yeah. see all throughout Scripture. Humility before God. I could think of Proverbs, which puts that very very clearly especially in the opening uh chapters mm-hmm. of of the book where yeah, you need sort of this wisdom you're yeah it juxtaposes yeah. um wisdom with foolishness and foolishness is sort of self-reliance and yeah. wisdom is reliance upon god that's what proverbs 3 5 through 6 very clearly gets across uh, leaning not on your own understanding but mm-hmm. in all your ways trusting in god mm-hmm. and that is the beckon the beckoning of of proverbs is stop trusting yourself uh, and that sort of leads to one of my favorite passages, uh, which has a tone of humility to it, uh, but it's the call of the gospel, uh, or the fine print, you could say, of the gospel, <laughs> what it's going to entail. Often the gospel, when it's when it's presented to people, is that it's, it's sort of like as if all of your life is going to fall into mm-hmm. place, mm-hmm. and things are just going to be amazing, and you're going to be so blessed, and you're not going to be living in the you know, in the, in the pain and suffering of the world anymore, everything's just going to sort of come together. 
but that's also not clear from Scripture. Uh, in, in actuality, it's quite the opposite. Following Christ is going to be difficult. Following Christ is going to demand everything. So if there's a passage that the students in the youth group hear very often <laughs> from me, it is this from Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 36. Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? This is what the gospel requires. This is the cost of discipleship, as Bonhoeffer has called it. We have mm-hmm. to give everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is nothing, no, there's no part of our life, of our hearts, of our minds, of our wills, or our souls, or even our bodies that does not come under the lordship of Christ. If we want to follow him, we must die to ourselves. And I think this fits really well also with what Paul says in Romans 6 and 8 about dying to the old man and being raised again uh, to new life. And so especially we see this in chapter 8 of the flesh and the spirit being Mm. at war. We have to kill our flesh and we have to live in the spirit. And I think that that's what Jesus is getting at here with picking up your cross is dying to yourself. And in a world today that really emphasizes authenticity, being your true self, it values, I think, living out of your flesh, mm. living according to your flesh mm-hmm. and not according to the spirit. And so this verse, I think, is an, mm. an extremely countercultural in our world today, uh, that you, being your true self in Christ is not being your true self in your flesh. Mm. Those are two diametrically op- opposed ways of living. And so the Christian faith is going to be difficult. It's going to demand everything of you. And it's going to be even more difficult in a culture where you are so encouraged by everything you see, all the songs you hear, all the movies you watch, to to be you, to do you, do whatever make you feel good or happy. Uh, and this calling of, of the gospel is something that I think needs to be clear, especially to... Uh, to young Christians, especially to new Christians, uh, they, they need to see sort of the fine print of what this is going to entail. Uh, you must know what you're getting yourself into. But what's interesting also from this passage is that it's not just a demand. It's not mm-hmm. just a mm-hmm. die to yourself, but it's a promise as mm-hmm. well. Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Yeah. Jesus is saying this is the way to life. The cross is the way to true life. If you want joy, it will come by following me. If you want true satisfaction and fulfillment in life, it will come because of me, because not because of letting of, go too. Right. And clinging to Christ. Yeah, you will yeah. get all that you're looking for. And so this sort of fits with I think CS Lewis's famous phrase or qu- quote that I've shared I think in weeks past about uh, sort of being okay as a little kid uh, with your your mud pies in the slums when a holiday at the sea is being offered to you. Mm-hmm. You think that, oh, I'm totally content just here in the slums <laughs> with my, my mud pies, um, but you don't know that you can actually go to the beach and, and make sandcastles mm. and have a much more beautiful view. And so this this passage is calling us to do something that's difficult, but it's actually the way, the pathway to true life and joy. 
yeah there's i love those passages that are deliciously ironic right where uh (laughs) you have jesus saying give up this little thing that you're clinging to with all your might that you think is the most important thing in your whole life Mm -hmm. which would be your self-expression your um sort of your will to uh you know be self-actualized by your own effort Mm -hmm. um and let it go and what you'll find is this amazing life in christ um yeah it's it's uh the natural person is incapable of doing this, but uh, the born-again, spirit-filled person will love doing this. Hmm. And so it, it really targets our pride in a lot of ways, uh, in the same way that uh, the thief on the cross had to say, look, I am I was guilty. He's not. Hmm. I need his life. I need what I see in him and that, and that Christ who I see right in front of me um, yeah. instead of uh, you know what this guy is, is basically tempting me towards on mm-hmm. my other side. So uh, it, it's a great uh, connection. They're literally on a cross, as Jesus yeah. says, take up your cross daily and follow me yeah, there. That's um, true. So that's a yeah, really good um, sort of a, a, we would call it maybe an action plan or a game plan for Christian ministry is mm-hmm. to take up our cross daily to follow Christ. I, um, I, I do want to say, one of the categories that I have in picking my favorite verses is verses connected to my favorite sermons. So, hmm. of course, the the richness of the sermon is that it points me to a scriptural truth. And my two favorite sermons, I can't pick which one I love the, mo- the most, are, <laughs> is uh, one is Heaven is a World of Love by Jonathan Edwards, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And my other favorite sermon is called The Healing of the Man at the Gate Beautiful by Martin Lloyd-Jones, and that is on Acts 3. And so, uh, again, to give you some context, Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. There's a beggar next to the temple gate, the gate beautiful, and uh, he's panhandling. And I love the verse that um, describes Peter's approach to this man and Martin, Lloyd- Martin Lloyd-Jones's hour or so long sermon unpacks this beautifully. So Peter says to the man, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And the, the old King James has a, I would say a punchier translation. Yeah. Uh, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. I, I love mm-hmm. um the activity that's described in that King James version a little bit more than the NIV that I pulled from. But that's Acts 3, verse 6. And in that sermon, Martin Lloyd-Jones so powerfully talks about how the church can often be distracted towards giving people silver and gold instead of Jesus Christ. And so, of course, this happens where we get too politicized, where we get... Um, where we think, again, the whole point of the gospel is just to love people and to take care of widows and orphans, and these are good things, but but the main purpose of the church is to point people to Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, Lloyd-Jones unapologetically draws us back to that throughout his whole sermon, and so I can't recommend the sermon enough, which one could find at mljtrust.org. Again, the name of the sermon is The Healing of the Man at the Gate Beautiful. 
And um, it is a, a powerful application, I would say, of a very simple sentence. In that sermon, Lloyd-Jones talks about how um, Thomas Aquinas was once, in, once getting a tour in a very ornate cathedral and the the bishop who was giving him the tour was very proud of all of the gold and all of the amazing uh, sort of tapestries and artwork and uh, maybe all of the impressive music that this this church could produce. And so the bishop says to Thomas Aquinas, uh, well, the church can no longer say, silver and gold have I none. And then Aquinas responds, but she can't say rise up and walk either. And so... Um, Meaning, this looks great, but Jesus isn't here. Yeah, and and so that is uh, man, what a burn! And, and yeah, <laughs> one of the ultimate comebacks, right? Um, but a, a comeback that hopefully would point this bishop to the gospel itself instead of all the trappings of of church. Yeah, so. yeah, a, a centrality of of Christ there, right? And not needing all all the extras. Uh, it's sort of like. My next verse, uh, John six fifty three mm. through fifty six. This is Jesus giving what is one of the more confusing and alarming sermons that he gives, um, or sort of just lessons that he gives. But he's talking about feeding on him, on eating him, and everybody mm. is seriously confused by what he is saying, and a little bit uh, terrified at the thought of it because of how unclean it would be. But he says there in those verses, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me Mm. and I in him. This was a passage for me that was really... It stood out. It stands out in my mind today. It makes me think of seminary, <laughs> and a lot of my wrestling with what the sacraments were for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, one of my favorite authors, who I've mentioned, John Nevin, reflects very deeply on this whole passage in his book, uh, "The Mystical Presence." And so, that alone makes it stand out to me. But it's more than just a cool doctrine. For me, this is pointing to the centrality of all things in Christ. Uh, it's it's pointing me to to him, uh, and what I think is also really interesting about this verse is that it can be very easy for Reformed Christians and Protestant Christians in general, when we think of the gospel, to think primarily in terms of the work of Christ, uh, what he has done, mm. and to lose out on the person of Christ. This passage and passages like it really help us to to balance that out mm-hmm. and see that salvation is Christ. It's found in him and what he has done and in who he is. And so we must know Christ. Um, and so this this is a very powerful passage for me in terms of my devotion to Christ, loving Christ, trusting Christ, feasting on Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh and of course, I would include this as a sacramental passage. Uh, there's debate on that because it comes before the institution of the Lord's Supper. Um, but I think it's very, very clearly talking yeah, about the Lord's Supper. I would agree. Um, 
And so I think that this actually does have some meaning for the Lord's Supper, that when we are eating and drinking in communion, that we are eating Christ's flesh and drinking his blood in a spiritual way, mm-hmm. that is, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the mystical presence of Christ is made known to us. Uh, we have to receive it by faith, uh, but it is truly there. Mm. Um, it's not transubstantiation in the Roman Catholic view, but we are feasting on Christ, and by faith we are receiving him. And so I think that th- that this passage gives communion a lot of really, really deep meaning, mm-hmm. that we are feeding on his flesh and his blood, and through that we have eternal life. Yeah, there are uh, three really quick things that I love about the verse. Firstly, it does emphasize the importance of the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives. We abide with him. And yeah. so, again, this corrects the reform temptation to just think that you know things about Jesus, and so, therefore, you are a Christian. No, you, the Christian abides with Christ. Yeah. He is a person. He is God, of course, but he, he desires to have fellowship with us. He's not an idea. He's a person. Mm-hmm. And so... We abide with him, and that's such a richer faith than just a faith that knows things about some, than a philosophy, basically. Um, the second thing that I like about it is uh, this is one of the verses that prompted me mm-hmm. to push for more frequent communion at our mm-hmm. own church, which uh, before I arrived was every other month, and in the distant past, I think it was quarterly that communion mm-hmm. was practiced, so four times a year. And um, which was pretty common in the very in the common in the continental, continental reform, yes. Um, and so uh, this verse basically says, when you're eating uh, the body of Christ, drinking the blood of Christ, you're abiding with Christ, and we would want to do that more. It's good for us to. Uh, mm-hmm. There's another part that says you have uh, that goes into further detail about you have life in you, and the person who doesn't do this does not have life in them, and mm-hmm. so we would hopefully want to do this frequently uh, to abide with Christ through the sacrament regularly. And uh, the third little thing that I love about it is thinking of it with an Easter resurrection perspective. So often the the Christian will think of this only as a Good Friday text, but um, I have have served communion on Easter Sunday before, and um, that was in my last congregation, and just the comments that I got from people were like, wow, that was powerful. We abide with the resurrected Christ. Yeah, when we're feasting on him, we're feasting on his crucified his, and resurrected his, his body. His glorious resurrected body, which is powerful and full mm-hmm. of life. Mm-hmm. And and so it's tragic, I would say, that communion takes on only the Good Friday connotation of the forgiveness of sins. Um, this yeah. verse very clearly points to life in Christ, not just the death of Christ, which certainly he did die, but he is alive and he is abiding with us. Um, and so we live uh, through him and we live in his presence. And so there's a, there's a lot going on, of course, in that text. And those are yeah. three of the things that jump out in my mind of why it's, a, it's also one that I go back to a lot. I probably quote that text that's in my top 10 quoted texts because I use it just about every time we institute the Lord's Supper here at Ammon Valley, especially when I'm in people's homes because um, it's a really powerful thing for a shut-in to receive yeah. communion and hear those words of abiding yeah. with Christ. And even though they can't be at church, they hmm. can abide with him through the sacrament that I bring. So yeah, um, wow. so anyways, uh, 
Let's do one more, maybe. Let's go Old Testament. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's we we each get one more. We've uh, prom. We've been uh, really in the Gospels and the Epistles a lot, but uh, my favorite Old Testament passage is Isaiah thirty-five, and um, maybe it's kind of a, a cheater Old Testament text because it really points to the New Testament, <laughs> um, and it points particularly to the new creation where uh, Isaiah 35 is all about how the holy city, uh, the new Zion, will be a perfect place to live. We'll be in the presence of God there, and uh, that's that's one of the things that, that gets me really excited to be a pastor is I'm really pointing people forward in my preaching and in my ministry to uh, what will be one day when Christ returns. And so... The final verse of Isaiah 35, verse 10 says, the ransomed of the Lord will return. Um, sort of, it's about this gathering that happens in the holy city. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. And I, I really like, one of my favorite words of the verse is, is kind of a strange word, sighing will flee away. So, uh, just those moments of life where we're just like, oh, that I just didn't go well, or I messed up again, or I, I sinned again, or this temptation just won't leave me. That sighing will be gone. It will be a thing of the past in the holy city. So um, I really love Isaiah 35 for the hope that it gives, but all of that hope, of course, is is accomplished in Christ and in uh, his work of redemption for bringing us into that city, making us able to go where God has designed us to go. Yeah, maybe the, the sighing points to the futility of human life and exertion. Yeah. We try things, we try things, and they fail, and the, the response is, uh, Right. And things are just not working as they're supposed to work. It sort of gets to the curse of the thorns. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny that you, you mentioned that from the Old Testament, and I basically have the New Testament equivalent from Revelation 21, 3 mm, through 4. Right. Uh, and John says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. This is the hope. This is the joy. This is what we look forward to. This is the, the light that, that shines on all of life, even on its darkest moments, knowing that there will be a day where all things will be set right. The old will finally pass away, and the new will be here in its completion, mm-hmm. and we will stand with God. Mm. But that's the best part. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This reminds me of the prophecies of the Old Testament from Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah 31. Um, just saying that he will be, they will be his people, and he will be their God. And that is getting at the close communion mm-hmm. and unity and fellowship and the life sharing that God's people have in him. We are going to be united to the Godhead because of our union with Christ. And that is the goal and the hope and the joy that we have now. Yeah, there's kind of, if I were to put a theme on our verses, I would say really all of these have been expressions of Reformed theology. And so we <laughs> are... getting into proof texts right, exactly. predestination or but, anything. But really it gets to the heart of Reformed theology, which is 
of deep humility and contrition about sin, a, a mm. real sober recognition of the fallen state of humanity, um, the exaltation and supremacy of Christ, who uh, mm. through his death and resurrection draws sinners into the presence of God by cleansing us and making us new. And then there's sort of that consummation that comes at the end that we're looking forward to of all things being set right in uh, the new creation. And so, yeah, yeah. it's sort of the, the covenant um, overarching uh, theme of scripture of God's grace with, with uh, towards a sinful people. Uh, we are mm. the targets of his mercy. And so I would say, yeah, that, that has come through in a lot of our favorite verses that we've picked. But one thing that I would love to see as a result of this podcast is a little bit more engagement maybe with our listeners yeah, as we sure. post these things on Facebook. Um, go back to the Facebook post where you saw it or, or give a review on iTunes or Podbean and um, let us know what your favorites are or if maybe we've said something that has given you a new favorite scripture text and uh yeah. as we uh really put effort into spreading the word here about the podcast um i one thing i am not much of is is really a self-promoter but i do <laughs> believe that we're doing a good thing here um that can hopefully really bless people with uh yeah. scriptural truth with pointing them towards christ in a time where there is so much negativity uh so much foolishness, quite frankly, on our Facebook feeds and on our Instagram and, and in podcasts even. Uh, hopefully we're shining a light um, of on God's word, which will be helpful to people who are wandering in darkness. Yeah, definitely. This is something that we do because we, we genuinely think that it will be of help to people mm -hmm. in our congregation mm -hmm. and hopefully beyond. So, yeah. Go ahead, like, share, comment, reply, uh, debate, whatever yeah. you want to do. We are we are open to hearing your thoughts and to even if you have any requests for topics for us to cover, uh, we we are always open. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, let us know. We would love to to meet you, get to know you, and uh, yeah, share our time with you. All right. So thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, we will get back to you next week with another podcast of Reform Podmatics. Thanks so much. All right. See you guys.